We're going to turn to the book of Ephesians for our reading, and Chris is going to read from Ephesians 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And let's take a moment to pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word in our hands, on our screens. Thank you that we can turn to you and to your word for instruction about how to live, and that all of that is based on what you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, after any length of time living in a new house, you know how it is. We all tend to gather lots of stuff, and much of that stuff will be very, very useful. Now, the hoarders among us, you don't have to put up your hand, I'll not shame you, but the hoarders among us are always delighted to get up into the attic and find something that's so useful that we've kept all of these years and then see it repurposed downstairs. There now, wasn't it good we held on to it all that time? But what if you suddenly found out that something that you'd been holding on to was harmful? What if you found out that something that you were hanging on to was not just a bit of benign clutter, but something toxic, dangerous, or potentially destructive? Wouldn't you just throw it away and then double sanitize your hands afterwards? Well, for Paul, writing and describing the building of the church to the Ephesians, he wants Christians to be aware that there may still be some toxic clutter to deal with in our lives, in our churches. And that harmful toxic clutter, well, it's in the whole arena of our personal relationships with each other. Now, if you stay two meters apart, if you wear masks, if you sanitize regularly, not even all that will help mitigate the, the effects of bad social behavior. That's in our churches, it's in our workplaces, in our homes. And, and some of the behaviors are so destructive that where healthy, growing churches are concerned, we must throw them out. We must get rid of them, even if we've been hoarding them all this time. And so, did you remember what happened one year ago? Do you remember last September? Some of you do. Last September, we met and we had a constituting service for Black Rock Community Church. We met up in the Talbot Hotel. 
And 20 months ago, back in January 2019, things began here. And, and so, as we build this church and continue over the next months and years, as the Lord allows us to, let's try and do the same as we build here. Let's throw out the clutter that's gotten away. And so, today, the, the Bible reading that we are, we're looking at is really, really practical. It's a call to action to get rid of all the kinds of things that are going to destroy our community life together. It's a call to dump any toxic church clutter. Have a think. What do you need to fetch out of the attic and get rid of? Well, perhaps it's this. Perhaps firstly, have a look at verse 25. Maybe you need to throw out lies and speak the truth. Have a look at Ephesians 4 verse 25. Paul writes, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Lying. Lying must be got rid of because it damages relationships. It, lying erodes trust. And, and Paul explains here in the Bible, he says, we are members one of another. It's a lovely phrase, isn't it? We're members of each other. And that's why we need to speak the truth to each other. Now, what is lying? Well, we know the obvious, but it also includes things like exaggeration as well as the outright lies. Think about your own life. If, if lying ever became a habit at some time in the past, if you're a Christian, the, the Bible reminds us here in Ephesians to make sure that we've put it away right now. Here's what I've seen in my life experience. You know lying when it happens in your life? It's, it's very rarely confronted head-on by other people. It's, it's very rare, and you're unlikely to hear someone come up to you and say, you lied to me. Now, that does happen, but that's the extreme. It rarely happens like that. Instead, what lying seems to do is it creeps into relationships, and gradually they're eroded away by the lies. And very often, nothing's said until it's too late. Has that been your experience? Nothing's said until the damage is done. If you have a particularly good friend, they might be brave enough to confront you on this one. But for a lot of the time, lies just get in and undercut relationships behind the scenes. A bit like dry rot, and if you've ever confronted that in, in, in house or in a building. So if we're Christians, we need to act decisively. Cut it out. Leave the lies behind. And ask God to help you if this is a struggle. And a close friend can help keep you accountable too. But act quickly, the Bible says. Throw it out. Throw out every lie from your life and replace it with what? With church-building, relationship-enriching, God-inspired truth. It's so refreshing. Isn't the truth refreshing, even as we look at these words? Well, if, if lies are the dry rot... Secondly, anger is the opposite of dry rot. It's louder. It's more nuclear. And with this instruction here, there appears to be a very close instruction between anger and sin. Look at verse 26. Paul writes, he says, be angry and do not sin. Now, if you put a full stop after be angry, we'd have trouble. But he doesn't. He says, be angry and do not sin. See the close relationship? Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity, verse 27, to the devil. Think about anger. It's, it's likely to explode in sin at any moment, as Mandy was describing 
in the playground. So throw it out, the Bible says. And then Paul adds that familiar and so very practical advice. Don't let the sun go down on it. In other words, set a timer on your anger. Could you do that? Not just the children, but all of us. Set a timer on your anger. Otherwise, there are serious consequences. And you can see the next warning is quite revealing. Give no opportunity to the devil. Because anger is so volatile that it's the perfect breeding ground for sin and for evil. If we're a church where anger is being stored up regularly, well, you don't need me to tell you the dangers of what could happen. You'll know that I grew up north of the border, and whenever we were watching the news as I was growing up, there were frequent reports about attacks on shops in some of the large towns in Northern Ireland like, and the cities like Belfast. And so, as well as the major car bombs, terrorists used something else. They used what were known as incendiary devices. What's an incendiary device? Well, it's a small car bomb. I don't know a lot about this, by the way. It's a small car bomb, or sorry, small fire bomb, and it's left not in a car, but in a business premises. And so, the design is that it will ignite after the shop had closed, and thus, before anyone could get back in and all the key holders could return, the premises had burnt down. Anger's a bit like that, that incendiary device where churches are concerned. And so, if we plant anger in any of our close relationships here in Black Rock, well, they'll soon go off after the lights have gone out and destroy everything. What church could survive such a firebomb attack? So, Paul says, get rid of it. Get rid of anger. Don't plant it. Don't leave it unresolved for too long because the results will wreak havoc in our church. So, set a timer. And when you hear that timer ringing, set things right with each other. If someone makes an offhand remark, set a timer. Get rid of it. When issues arise between us, as they will. I didn't say if issues arise. When issues arise, let's sort them out before the shops close and everything blows up with those incendiary devices. Well, thirdly, Paul says, throw out stealing. Work hard and honestly, verse 28. Have a look. Let the thief, he writes, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Lies, anger, now stealing. And stealing, like the last two, destroys relationships. It corrodes them. And Paul says to the Christians, live lives of integrity without all that rubbish. Get rid of these lurking vices, wherever they are, in the attic or downstairs. Christians are to be hardworking. They're to be honest workers. Why? Well, you can see the reason is given, so that we have a means to share with people in need. If you've been stealing or however that has come out in, in working dishonestly, however you've justified it in the past, if you follow Christ, it's time to get rid of it. It's time to work hard, that, that we can provide each other, our church, those in need with, with everything that they need. Well, we'll move on, verses 29 to 30. Paul writes, throw out rotten talk and speak graciously. You see, the way we talk to each other, now, this is also in relationship, isn't it? Have a look from verse 29. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, 
but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Look at verse 29. See the word corrupting? Well, that's used elsewhere to describe rotten fruit or rotten fish in Matthew's gospel. And, and if you think about decaying food, it's horrible. It smells bad. It's nasty. It actually spreads to other food. And like that decaying food, some words are really rotten. And if we speak them, it's as if they ruin whole sentences. But not just that. They, they ruin entire conversations. Relationships are spoiled. And, and imagine this. Have you ever done this where you've added rotten milk to your cereal? I hate when that happens. And so, uh, thankfully, it doesn't happen very often. But if it does, you, you have to throw it away before you get a mouthful. And if you do, you have to spit it. It's disgusting. And in the same way, rotten words, Paul says, throw them out. The Bible says that our speaking shouldn't make everything around it rotten, but rather the opposite. Look, when Christians speak, we have to choose to say things that are good, that build up each other up. Look at that phrase, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do your words do that? Do mine? You see, gracious words will change our relationships. Think of God's grace, what it did to your life. Gracious words will draw attention, not to things that are horrible and base and rotten, but to the God of grace, the God who is gracious. Well, look how Paul continues in verse 30. He says, getting rid of all this toxic clutter in our relationships, in our church, is really important. You see, these instructions are really tied to bigger goals in the building of the church. You see verse 27, remember? We don't want to give the devil an opportunity. Well, here's another big thing. Neither do we want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, verse 30. Well, who's the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is God's agent in our reconciliation and in that unity that's been formed as the church is built, the way we have united with each other. And so, any behavior among Christians, like rotten talk, like lies or anger or stealing, which can wreck the unity and jive at that reconciliation, well, all these things, well, they grieve the Holy Spirit, who the Bible says has sealed us for the day of redemption. So, not only are these behaviors destructive among ourselves, they have an impact on God. They distress Him. They grieve Him. All the more reason to get them and throw them out. Well, look at the fifth thing here to throw out. As Paul continues his call to throw out the toxic clutter, here's a list to hunt down. Can you find these things? Can you throw them out? Have a look at it, verses 31 and 32. There's a whole list. Let me read them for us. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Hunt all those things down. You know, have, have you ever experienced something? Uh, have you ever experienced a, a sort of a thawing or a, a neutralizing of your own bitterness towards someone? Maybe, maybe you have, or maybe it's still difficult in some of those relationships. Well, Paul tells us 
if we're to hunt these things down, he'll tell us how to do it. He says, look at how God forgave us. Look at how he forgave us, how God stepped forward when we weren't particularly sorry or even aware of our faults, and God graciously reached out to forgive us by sending the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing how these things are tied together here. Replace that bitterness with a forgiveness the way God forgave us. It's incredible, isn't it, when you think about it? And so, if you are struggling with baggage and bitterness, why don't you take a moment? Take a moment to look away from the things that were said and done to you. Look away from the wreckage of a broken relationship just for a moment and look square at God's mercy towards us. And then when you look back at your own issues, the bitterness that was there, the landscape will have changed. You may well see the need to to add all that bitterness to the pile of stuff that's now ready for the dump. Get rid of it. Hunt those things down. Replace them with kindness, forgiveness, just as God forgive us. Well, finally here, um, in the start of the next chapter, Paul says, walk in love, just like Christ. What what, what we've been reading is, is much more than a list of instructions, although it's certainly that. The Bible's calling us to walk Remember that walk in a manner worthy of your calling, the start of chapter 4. Well, here he sort of sums up therefore, and he says, as you walk, as you live, um, do it in a way that reflects God, the God who forgave us, the God who rescued us. Here's how this section reaches a climax. Did you read it? He says, therefore, be imitators of God, all you Christians building the church, Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What's our motivation for this list of instructions? Well, it's it's really clear. It's the gospel. The gospel is our motivation for the major clutter clear-out. Otherwise, it's just rules and good living. And the thing that will set us apart from, from, from other people, the most distinguishing mark of all of this is Christ-shaped love in each one of us. Christ-shaped love. You know, sometimes we get fed up with instructions. Nefet and the government are finding that, aren't they, as people get fed up with the pandemic and as they try to curb the spread of the coronavirus. Uh, we're seeing cases go up as people get maybe fed up with the way we're told to change our behavior. But as Christians, here's the thing that can motivate us with the kind of behavior that sets us apart. Here's what can motivate us. Let's look again at the gospel. Let's look again at the gospel as we try to live as a local church here in Black Rock. Let's do that this morning, remembering Christ's sacrifice for us. You know, we're trying to, and we were talking to the, to the young people on Friday, we're trying to lift up, we're trying to elevate that gospel. Paul wrote that it was of first importance that Christ died for our sins, and he was right. And so, as a church, as Christians, we need to elevate that gospel. And as we elevate it and look back to our behavior, we can change with the gospel motivating us 
to be the kind of people that God Himself is, to have the kind of love that Christ Himself demonstrated us. So let's make the gospel of first importance as God builds His church here. Why don't you come and be part of us? And if you've never responded to the gospel, perhaps hearing it again today, you'll turn and look at what Christ did and respond in faith, in repentance for all the old ways. Leave them all behind. Leave them out for the, for the rubbish. Come and see Christ. Come and remember again that He gave Himself up for us. You, you know, we're going to sing as we close today. And the song we're going to sing is called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And if you think about the lyrics as we sing them, here's an opportunity to reflect on what the Lord did for us in Christ. Let me read one of those verses. For my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. So as we reflect on the gospel, let's throw out all the junk, all the rubbish, knowing that Christ has paid the ultimate sacrifice. He will hold me fast. Let's stand and sing together.